0: Good morning, y'all. Today's podcast is on self-doubt. Last week when I interviewed Shannon Ball, she talked about self-doubt. And I loved her honesty. She said, I've always had self-doubt. And each step of the way, you know, when she made a big step, she would say, no, I thought I was going to fail or I thought, you know, I had this huge self-doubt, but I acted anyway. And that's the thing. She didn't let her self-doubt stop her. She has enough self-awareness to know that self-doubt ain't going nowhere. She knew she had to take steps despite the fear and self-doubt. She kept checking in with her heart, her inner GPS, and she paid attention to signs and to people who were sent her way. She'd have these synchronistic conversations, which, you know, appeared to be out of the blue, but in hindsight, they were part of the plan and she would listen to those. She would um, pay attention and it would give her a gentle nudge in the right direction. As a society and especially as women, we are consumed with self-doubt. I hear it all the time from my teenage and adult female patients. And here's what they do. They apologize all the time for their bodies, for not taking care of their dry skin, for not shaving their legs, for not washing their hair, for their cellulite, for everything. It's a rare female who doesn't make a self-deprecating comment about her belly fat when I'm looking at the moles on her stomach. And men do not do this, or at least my male patients don't, they never comment on their fat. Nor do they apologize for anything on their bodies, like even body odor when they come straight from the gym or when they have these really long, thick toenails. Self-doubt comes from a chronic simmering unworthiness. The unworthiness keeps us convinced that change is bad and scary. It leaves us terrified of drawing attention to ourselves. It results in this low-grade, constant cortisol stress response. That's a mouthful. Low-grade, constant cortisol stress response. So we're always like checking ourselves, comparing ourselves, second-guessing our every move. Self-doubt wants to keep us safe. Think about it like an animal on the African savanna. Maybe the animal was born with a birth defect, like, you know, three legs instead of four. Maybe it has an injury or maybe just like us, it thinks that it's injured in some way. The animal fears being eaten any second. It's constantly on the lookout. It's slinking low to the ground. Its eyes are darting side to side. It's afraid to go out in the big open world. So, I mean, I'm not immune to self-doubt either. I was really doubtful about this podcast. It took me two years to get up the nerve to do it. And I still have self-doubt and fear every time I hit publish. I really do. I hold my breath, (laughs) I close my eyes, and I do it anyway. And I don't look at my analytics. I ask people to be on my podcast and be a guest. But then, you know, I do it with like this trepidation. And I worry that they'll laugh and be like, why would I want to do that? (laughs) Ha ha. So think about self-doubt like maybe like a stooped over white haired grandma and she cares so much about you and she truly wants what's best for you. She's trying to protect you and she's always saying, are you sure about that, honey? Are you sure you want to do that? Just stay home. Or maybe if the grandma image doesn't resonate with you, picture self-doubt as the skinny, awkward, middle school version of you she has no idea what a badass you've become and she's just terrified that you can pull off this thing she has no confidence she's got braces she's scrawny she's like looking around her eyes are darting and looking to see what everybody else is doing and just imagine that you are wrapping this skinny little middle school girl in your arms and giving her a tight hug Be careful not to poke your eye out with her hairsprayed bangs (laughs) and thank her for her concern, but reassure her you've got this. Maybe it would help if we named our self-doubt, like self-doubt Susan. Susan is part of us. I'll repeat that. Self-doubt Susan is here to stay. She's, even when you're, even when you're making huge moves and huge strides, doing scary things, you're still going to have this self-doubt. She's there to protect us from the scary unknown, from getting hurt, from doing something that our ego deems stupid. It's like the injured animal on the savanna that I mentioned earlier. That's the reptilian part of our brain. It worries that we might not survive if we do something stupid. It's concerned with keeping us alive. Alive means stay safe, stay close to the periphery, don't do anything that might draw attention. That is why our brains are so amazing. They invented self-doubt Susan. So maybe by now I've convinced you like, yeah, self-doubt's everywhere. Everybody has it. It's not going anywhere. But what do I do about it? How do I move forward despite old Susan? So you get quiet This is a recurrent theme in my message. Get quiet. Visualize whatever version of Susan you want to visualize. Like you might picture yourself as a middle schooler. You might picture a white-haired grandma. And ask Susan why she's so worried. And then listen. And I can't just listen because then I'll make up things in my mind. But if I write what I quote unquote hear, then I'm always shocked at the things that end up on my paper. So I just ask, like, what are you so worried about? And when I did this, I had a flashback of when I tried out for cheerleading twice, two years in a row in middle school, and I didn't make it. And this was mortifying. They posted a list and like all the girls were gathered around and jumping up and hugging each other. And when I was writing about this, I felt like self-doubt Susan was like, had these mascara tears streaming down her face. And she's hysterically crying and saying, see, I told you this was a horrible idea. I knew you couldn't compete with all those girls. What were you thinking? My Susan is definitely a timid, scared middle schooler. Number two, once you identify what Susan's biggest worries are, consider how likely they are to actually happen. I even rank the likelihood on a scale of 1 to 10. 10 being it's definitely going to happen. And I read about this in The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F. She also, the author of that book, says, um, write down what you would do if the worst case scenario actually happened. In the case of the podcast, um, I wrote down like the absolute worst case would be if quote unquote everyone made fun of me and if I quit after a few episodes. But see, even that's like not that bad. Once I wrote it down, I was like, okay. And then I wrote um, what I would do about it would be move on and be glad that I tried it. Number three, write out the best thing that could happen if you do this thing. This might be something big like when Shannon started her own yoga studio. Or it might be something small like sending an email or making a phone call. Anything where self-doubt is present, just write it out and write out the best thing that could happen. Feel your hope expand and your spirit soar. Just notice how awesome it would feel if that best possible scenario actually happened. And you'll probably feel unrealistic or crazy, but just write it out. Number four, think of times in the past when you've acted or spoken up despite self-doubt. I remembered getting up in front of an auditorium full of grown-ups and high schoolers at a regional poetry competition, and I was in the second grade. I don't know how I won it. See, there I am with self-doubt again. I won it because I was good at that poem, doggone it, but I'd worn this, like, navy pleated skirt, this matching vest, white stockings. It was like a school uniform, but I was not in private school. So I stood up there and I read my poem into the microphone and everybody loved it. And I won the whole competition. I beat out high schoolers. And at that age, I don't think I had a lick of self-doubt. I think that kicked in around age like 10. Number five, notice where you, spe- sorry, notice where you feel self-doubt in your body. For me, it's my throat clamps down or my stomach gets in knots. So try not to judge where you feel it. Don't make up a story about, oh, it's probably a tumor in my stomach or probably my throat's going to close and I'll die. Just breathe into that body part. With each exhale, imagine you're letting go and releasing the tension and the self-doubt. Number six, come up with a mantra or a phrase you repeat over and over to yourself. One of mine is, I am a badass at whatever. I've totally got this. So it might be writing. It might be podcasting. It might be sometimes I say it with regards to being a mom um, because I have a lot of self-doubt around parenting. And I can promise you, you will feel like an idiot the first 100 times that you do this and say it. But after a few days, it'll start to resonate and your choices will begin to reflect your mantra. Number seven, ask if you really want to play safe your entire life. Don't you wonder sometimes what it would be like to follow through on urges or pulls towards the scary unknown? Don't you wanna throw your shoulders back, stand up tall and show up in your life for Pete's sake? Number eight, thank Susan and tell her you've got this. Remember, she only wants to make sure you're safe. As long as you can reassure her, which is your brain, that you've thought this through, she'll hush up. She won't leave, but she'll at least quit her whining. Thank y'all for joining me today. I'll talk to y'all on Saturday. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast. If you like this podcast and think someone else could benefit, please share it. I'd also love for you to write a review on your favorite podcast platform like Spotify or Apple. And lastly, if you would like more of the same, come over to my website, hopethepa.com. Thank y'all for listening.